Heavenly Father, thank you that we can never exhaust who you are. No matter how long we study, no matter how long we live, no matter the experiences we have, there is always more to learn about who you are, about what you call us to, about the ways that you work in our life, in the world, in our communities. Lord, that as we get into your word, it seems that it is, it's inexhaustible. There's just more and more that can be gained. Lord, please help us to embrace that, to learn, to grow, and to serve, Lord, to step out in faith and to be the people you've called us to, that we might live kingdom-first lives for your honor and glory. In Christ's holy name we ask it. Amen. You might have noticed the picture. I'm going to bring this kind of up toward the front here. Hopefully you can all see it. I stood in the back to kind of see what it looks like, and it's actually kind of cool because it's got a different look if you stand right here than if you're back there, but you can still kind of catch what's on it. Um, if you're in the way back and you're having a hard time, just stand up for a minute. You're welcome to stand up and take a look at the picture if people's heads are blocking your view. Um, this is a picture. Here's a shoreline, ocean. Here's the sky. You can see the sun kind of reflecting down here. Um, this is a picture that Lori drew, uh, well, she carved and painted um, using knives, using her fingers. Um, it is a beautiful picture that she spent a decent amount of time putting together because I asked her, would you show something to the congregation that, that is a representation of what we studied last week? Hey, here was the point of last week. When God rested, God was, he had finished his temple, heaven and earth. He had finished it. It was beautiful. It was perfect. It was in harmony. It was shalom. It was this, this beautiful picture of where things are all in their place. And you look at it and you go, wow. That's what you would have been doing. You'd have been looking at God's creation and going, wow. It would have been like about a month ago, we were in Colorado, and at one point we took a hike, we're about 13,000 feet up, and just everything about it, the view, the, the air, the way it smelled, it was just beautiful, and it was overwhelming, and it was like, wow, our God is amazing. Have you had that experience? I, and I just, I wanted her to paint something that like you could see some of that and you could see even kind of the structure because that's part of what creation is, is the ordering of creation. He puts it in an order where it functions the way it's supposed to function. And yet, that is so often not what we experience. I feel like I kind of have to go to Colorado at times. Like it's special moments where, where I'm feeling this beauty and this awe and like this is what the world is because far too often that's not what I'm feeling. Far too often, I mean just this morning, if you had opened up Yahoo, if you had opened up USA Today, if you had turned on the news, what would you have seen? Death, disease, disease, poverty. I mean, just 
all this stuff that is so much a part of our lives that don't seem to look like this. I read a story because I could talk about the worst possible things, but in some ways, a lot of those are distant at times. I want to talk about something that is not necessarily the biggest, catastrophic, worst thing that could happen, but it just struck my heart. There's this little girl. Well, she's not anymore. She's 17 now, but there's this girl named Kate Foster. I forgot her last name for a minute. Kate Foster started gymnastics when she was six years old. Gymnastics and CrossFit. Loved it, fell in love with it. It was like she was training for competitive gymnastics, wanted to be in the Olympics, all of these things. And when she was 11 years old, well, when she was 10, she found, there was all this stuff going on with her. They couldn't figure it out. When she was 11, she was found to have leukemia in her leg. And they went through rounds of chemo. She got an infection in her knee. And the only way to save her life was to remove the leg. And I read the story, and it, it just broke my heart because I think that's exactly what so many of my problems feel like. Like the, the one of those things that are so essential to what she's doing is the thing she loses. Like why that leg for a girl who wants to be a gymnast? And why somebody who's 11 years old has to go through that? That is what the world too often feels like for me. Have you seen the Grand Canyon? Like that, not, not the Grand Canyon, the movie, the Grand Canyon. Like it came out in like 1991, I think, or 92. Um, there's a scene in there that I was reminded of where the guy's car has broken down and he's in a bad neighborhood and he's waiting for the tow truck. And as he's waiting, some young gang guys drive by and then they do a U-turn and they come back and they go behind him. And then these four gangsters come up to his car and they do some things to scare him and they hit the front of the car and they're speaking to him. They make him get out of the car. And I mean, you can just see this is not going well. And right when it's about to escalate, the tow truck driver pulls by and pulls right in front and out, out steps Danny Glover. And he's got an iron with him. And he steps out and he just walks up and he just starts doing his job. He just starts putting the car, he's going to tow the car. He's kind of ignoring these gangsters for a while. They say a few things to him. The leader says a few things to him. And he kind of says a few things to them. And at one point, he says, he says, come here. And he asks the leader, he says, come over here. He says, I have a favor to ask of you. I want you to let me take this guy's car. And they say a few other things. And then finally, this is what Danny Glover says to him. He says, man, the world ain't, to, ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that. But this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. That's what I feel like. As I stand in between this beauty that I occasionally get to glimpse in a sunset, in a mountain, in the cry of a little baby, and this, where people are getting ripped off, people are starving, and leukemia is impacting little kids. And I'm standing in the middle thinking, everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. And you know what? It is. 
there's a reason we feel this way. It is supposed to be different. What we are experiencing right now, this is not what we studied day seven for. It's not what God created. What we are experiencing, something has happened. Something has changed. And this morning is about what has happened. If you would, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. What happened? How did we go from that to what we have now? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Here's the first thing that happened. The image bearers distrusted the king. The image bearers distrusted the king. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And let me just say for a moment, um, her addition of something to this command um, is not a huge deal in this text. Um, It's never pointed to. Um, It's just she's repeating what she knows and what they're trying to do. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Let me stop there. All right, here is their original mandate. Their original mandate is to take care of what God had made, and then to fill that up. And it's very important that we get this. They were to preserve what God had already done. They didn't have to go do it. About once a week, I feel like we have to clean up the playroom in our house because total chaos has ensued. Every toy they own is laying on the floor. Things have been knocked over. There's books all over the place, and we go up, and we clean it up. And we completely take the chaos and we bring shalom to that room. And it is ordered and it is beautiful. And then we say to our kids, just keep it like it is. You don't have to do anything, but you have to preserve what we created. That was their mandate. They didn't have to go make something beautiful. They didn't have to go make something that was in chaos and give it order. God had done all of that and had rested as the king and then said, now go preserve what I've given you. And yet, in the midst of their job, as they encounter the first thing in creation that's not ordered the way God wants it. We don't know how long it's been, It could have been a week. It could have been years. We don't really know. All we know is this serpent is the first thing they encounter that is actually not ordered the way God wants it to be. And the serpent begins to ask them questions. Now, who is the serpent? According to the New Testament, 
This is in some sense a personification of Satan. Whether it is actually Satan, whether he has possessed a serpent, whatever it is, it's somehow. The way that it would have been understood in the Old Testament, and I want to take it this way right now, it would have just been in some way evil. Right? Opposite of what God is doing. And here comes this thing and begins to ask questions. Now, what did God say? Well, that's not really what's going to happen if you do that. Right, here's the mandate. If you eat of this tree, surely you will die. No, that's not exactly what's going to happen. In fact, here's the thing. And don't miss this. The reason God doesn't want you to eat of that tree is because you will become like him. He is hiding something from you. His motivations are not pure. There is actually something there that you would love to have that he's keeping from you. And here's what they do. Here's what they should have done. We are to preserve what Yahweh has created, this good and beautiful and harmonious world that he has made. All we've got to do is trust him and preserve it. But you know what? Maybe that serpent's right. Maybe he is holding something back. And they look at the tree and they go, it looks really good. That is some good fruit. Why would he not want us having that fruit? That's really good looking fruit right there. There's got to be another reason. And they begin to distrust the king. Every parent understands this. And you understand it because of your experience as a child and then becoming a parent. When I was younger, my friends and I did something that we thought was amazing and awesome. Everyone should experience it. We had a pool in our backyard. And we decided that the diving board just wasn't high enough. We decided that the slide that was next to it just wasn't high enough. We needed to get higher. And so our, the way our house was is you had the, the patio right here that was flat, and then the roof kind of went up here, and the pool was next to that part where the roof was. Shallow end was here, deep end was here. And if you started on the back part of that patio and ran, you could then leap and dive into the pool into the deep end. My mom didn't think that was a good idea. And I... I I fought her. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is, this is perfectly safe. This is just fine. And she's like, you are never doing that again. I'm like, no, this is a good thing. Why can't we do this? I'll tell you why, because I don't believe it can actually hurt me. If I believed that, I would have stopped. I don't believe you, mom. And then I had kids. If my kids ever try to do that, I will kill them. <laughs> See, I get it now. I get the risks. Now I'm going, oh my goodness, what did I do to my poor mom? And that was just one of the ridiculous, dumb things I did to my poor mom. But the thing is, I didn't believe her. I didn't trust her that that was going to hurt me. I'm invincible. I'm safe. I'm doing just fine. What's the worst that could happen? I don't know. You could fall off the roof and die. But I just didn't trust her. I trusted me. That is what's happening. The king has said, I've given you everything. All that's out there except this one trade, I want you to eat from this. Will you trust me? 
no. I don't trust your motivations. I don't trust this is the best for my life. I don't think, I think there's something there that you're hiding from me. I think there's a better path. And what it leads to is that the first image bearers, they despise the king. I want to use some biblical language here. They despise the king. They despise the word of the king. And you see it in the text. Look back at Genesis 3. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This is a a little side note, but men, don't be that guy. I mean, this dude is just standing there next to his wife while she gets tempted and she reasons all this stuff out, and he's just standing there mute, like I'm dumb and I'm going to let her fall and do whatever. Oh, and then I'll do it too. Why not? Don't, Don't do that to your wife. Not part of my message, just it's there. Verse seven, and then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They knew they were naked. What is that? Jump back to chapter two and look at verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now in verse seven, their eyes are open. They know they're naked. And they are ashamed. And so they cover themselves up. They despise the word of their king by going, I know what you've told us, but we don't trust you. We trust us. We're doing our own evaluation of this situation. We're looking at this tree and going, you know what, what that snake said, because that's a great thing to trust, what that snake said may be right. And like, I'm looking at this tree and it looks good. Like, there's got to be a reason you're telling us not to do it, and I don't trust you, and so I am going to reach out and take that fruit, and I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to give some to this guy over here, this dolt who won't say anything and help me, and he's just going to eat it too. Despising the word of the Lord, but it tells us something about sin, and this is the primary thing I want you to get this morning. Sin is the undoing of what God has done. Sin is the overturning of what God is putting in place. They were naked and without shame. That is the way God created them. That was shalom. That was perfect ordering. That was harmony. And when they eat and rebel... Now their eyes are open, they can see their shame, and they have fear, and they have all kinds of things coming into them they never had because that's not what Yahweh wanted for them. And they have to cover themselves up. That our sin is not just an isolated bad action. Hey, this is part of the way we can justify when we are alone and we do something that doesn't hurt somebody else. How many of you have heard that as the definition? As long as it's not hurting anybody else, then it's okay to do it. That's a great worldly way of defining sin, but it has nothing to do with the Bible. Sin is 
when you and I actively work against what it is God made, what God desires, what God's will is. And it is an ugly, ugly thing. Because God over here is making peace, and our sin is when we decide to make war. God over here is trying to show love, and we're over here showing hate. We are undoing in his world what he wanted. And I want to give you a visual for what this looks like that I hope will help it sink in and it will get you thinking about sin and your actions in a different way. Sin is not just I broke a rule and now I can go and I can say, will you forgive me and things are right. Sin is not just, well, it didn't hurt that person over there, so I'm good. It's not that big of a deal. Sin is when we are undoing the beauty that God has done. Go ahead and come up, Lori. Lori does not like this moment. Because Lori put a lot of time into this painting. But if you want to see what your sin is, this is what our sin is doing. You ready? That's our sin. Lori spent a lot of time making this beautiful. There's a lot more that went into our universe than into this painting. And as much as Lori cares for this painting, literally, she told me, I may start crying when you do this. Um, As much as Lori put into this painting, do you know how much God put into his universe? Into us? Into life? And when you and I don't trust him and we decide to go our own way, and we rebel, this is what we are doing to what God has created in this universe. This is why it's so awful and so atrocious. And I don't mean it all to demean something. I don't mean to make light of our pain because sin causes us pain. Sin hurts the people around us. But I want to give you a priority of placement here. Sin is, first and foremost, against God. Do you remember this? David, in Psalm 51, he has sinned. And he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, anybody know what his sin is? What he's talking about? He has committed adultery and murder. And and here's David going, against you and you alone have I sinned. And you're thinking, David, I'm pretty sure that Bathsheba and her husband would have some issue with that. 
Like there's a little bit more going on there than like you and God. Like you've hurt some other people and that is absolutely true. However, when Nathan confronts David, he says to him, you have despised the word of God because first and foremost, you have hurt his image bearers. You have hurt his world where he wanted love and respect, where he wanted the sanctity of marriage. You, David, have overturned that by imposing your will on these things against what Yahweh wanted. David, you have done this to my world. Because at the heart of sin is going against Yahweh. At the heart of sin is spitting in the face of God. That's what we do. Just think about the next time you are in a situation and you decide, instead of following Yahweh, I'm gonna trust me. And I, and I encourage you, think about it that way. Just think about your sin Think about your relationships and the way that you respond to people. And instead of just going, well, let me, let me figure out why I'm okay and why I'm responding this way. I want you to ask yourself, am I really trusting God in this and what he wants? Because Jesus asks us to do some rather insane things. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Somebody wants you to go one mile with them, go two. He asks for some hardcore things. Why do you not do them? I bet if you go all the way down, it's because you don't believe in them. It's because you don't trust him. Because you think, if I love my enemy, who's going to take care of me? I'm not trusting him. Because at the root of sin is a distrust of the king. And the next step is to despise the word of the king and to rebel and to do this. And you know what? There's something even more that happens. There's something, I can, this is the only word I can think of. There is something catastrophic that happens when the first image bearers rebel against Yahweh. Even more than what we've talked about. Go back into your Bible and look at verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Isn't that interesting? The serpent actually was right, partly. Because the lies that we really do believe in have enough truth that we fall to them. And in this case, there was some truth in this. They did gain something out of it. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. I mean, that's the command. If you eat of this tree, you will not get this tree. You will die. And now that's going to come true. But look how it comes true. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
In their rebellion, they lost life and were driven out of the presence of Yahweh. Yes, they suddenly have their eyes opened and they can see that they're naked, but something even bigger takes place. It's not just that. They are driven out of the presence of the Lord. But you know what? And here's the radical part of all of this. It was not just Adam and Eve. In the beginning, he makes heaven and earth together, and he is dwelling in his temple. Where does he dwell now? And this really isn't a trick question. It's probably the first thing that comes to your mind. Heaven. And if if you think I'm crazy, you think that's too simplistic, listen to the prayer that we pray every single Sunday. Our Father... That happened right here. This is the sundering of heaven and earth. This is the cracking open of the temple. Because from this point forward until Revelation 21 and 22, God's abode, his dwelling place, is heaven. Now, please don't think of heaven as like some ethereal afterlife that we're all going through. That's not what we're talking about. It is some kind of realm Hey, we don't have a lot of information on this, but this is the place where God in his fullness dwells. Is God omnipresent? Yes. God is right here, everywhere, right now. However, God localizes his presence all the time. The burning bush. Hey, step away because this place is holy. Why? Because I'm here. Aren't you everywhere? Yes, but right here, there is a local manifestation of the presence of God in a very special way. But from this moment forward, you will see things like he acted out of heaven. They called to him from heaven. In Isaiah, Isaiah will talk about the fact that at some point God is going to rend the heavens and come down. This moment separated heaven and earth in a way that will not come back until the new Jerusalem is coming out of heaven to make heaven and earth one again. It is that big. What was the impact? So there's something called a keystone species. And an example is an otter. If you go to an ecosystem that is a kelp forest, there are all of these creatures that live off of that kelp. But one of those creatures, a sea urchin, would eat all of the kelp if it wasn't for the sea otters. The sea otters eat those urchins and they keep the population down so that the entire ecosystem survives. If you remove the otters, the sea urchin will take over and it will devastate the entire sea kelp and the whole ecosystem will be impacted by the spread of those sea urchins. Gotta find my Bible. Here's what happens when God's presence no longer dwells in the same way. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the impact. The Holocaust, that's the impact. Slavery, that's the impact. 
God's presence was removed from the earth. And it is not that he doesn't come back. He does. And we're going to see this as we go through this history. He's going to show up to Abraham. He's going to show up to Jacob. He's going to come. He's going to show up in the bush. But in the way that it worked in Genesis 1 and 2, that will not happen again until recreation of heaven and earth. And I end with this. Look back at Genesis 3. You want to see the impact on us? This is our life now. Genesis chapter 3, go to verse 14. One understanding of this part is that it is the result of God kicking them out of his presence. Not that God is intentionally going, hey, woman, you're now going to hurt a whole bunch when you have babies. But that part of being out of his presence is these things right here. Verse 14, Yahweh God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Those two verbs are exactly the same. There's no indication of any victory in Genesis chapter 3. The picture is a continual battle between evil and the image bearers, that it won't stop until the final recreation and final redemption. Guess what? You are in a battle for the rest of your life until Jesus comes back. You are in a battle as an image bearer of God against evil. And either you're joining that battle as this, or you are trusting in the king, not in yourself, and not despising his word, but following him, and trying to bring about the peace, and the order, and the love that he brought about. Keep going. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. And this is really hard to communicate. Um, the Hebrew indicates both conception all the way through raising children. That whole process is going to be really hard now because you will be out of the presence of the Lord suffering the full effects of sin as the sea urchin, spreading across this world and devastating it with darkness. That's what you raise your kids in. And you have people like my poor mom that has to put up with me who wants to jump off the roof. That's part of what moms are going to go through because of this. Your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over you. Sadly, and I say this without any levity or joking, husbands and wives will fight. We will at times despise one another. We will at times rebel against each other. We will try to control each other and dominate each other. We will hurt each other. That will be part of living in a world where God's presence is not there. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat of the bread till you return to the ground. From out of it you were taken. For dust, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
providing for our families, providing for life will now be challenging, painful, hard. That will be part of this life. This picture over here, this picture of death and sickness, this picture of things being unfair, this is life now. But God still wants to work. God still wants his picture to be there. And we get a hint of it. There's hope. As ugly as all this is, there's hope. For the last time, look at your text and look at verse 20. This is a beautiful picture. Okay? They have rebelled against the king who gave them everything. He provided all they could have ever wanted. He gave them love and joy and peace and a world that worked like it was supposed to, and they still rebelled against that. And I can tell you, after I did this to Lori's painting, she wanted to hurt me. Here's what God does. The man called his name, his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, skins and clothed them. Think about your child and the numbers of years you have to clothe them. That simple act. He was getting ready to kick them into the harsh world where all of these things he had just said were going to be true. And he closed them. He takes those nasty leaves that they used and says, I'm going to clothe you with something to protect you as you go into this harsh reality that you have brought upon my creation. I'd even make this argument. He did kick them out because he diso they disobeyed him. But I think he also kicked them out to redeem them. That, that where he says, so they don't stretch their hand out and eat of the tree, that is punishment. That is discipline for disobeying. However, would you like to live for eternity as you are now? Anybody? I mean, anybody want to be in this body that you're currently in forever? To deal with the sickness and the breakdown I mean, Aaron and I, we are, we are early 40. She's super early 40, like 40. But it's amazing how much breakdown we're already experiencing. And I'm not to say I know some of you are experiencing a lot more. I get that. I'm not trying to put my breakdown on par with your breakdown. But it's awful. Like the aches and the pains and the things you start feeling, I would not want to be like this forever. I believe there's a redemptive reason why God said, I'm not going to let you eat of this tree. Because you know what's in the next creation? It's back. But it's when we are fully redeemed. Kate Foster said no when they went to amputate her leg. Said, I cannot lose my leg. Gymnastics is everything. At that point, she was doing 22 hours a week in gymnastics. She said, this is, this is, you can't take my leg. And I said, if we don't take your leg, this disease is going to take your life. We have to take your leg. So they amputated her. The chemo, or the, the disease would return less than a year later. It would come back. She'd have to go through more rounds of chemotherapy. 
But through it all, her coach said this to her. She said, I have never trained an amputee before. But if you are willing, I am willing. And at 17 years of age, she is in competitive gymnastics with a prosthetic. She does the beam. She does bars. She even has a floor routine. And they don't give her any extras, no handicaps, nothing. All the rules that apply to everybody with two legs, they apply to her. She has to do this new reality just like everybody else. But she can do it because her coach and her family said, we will come alongside you. I will keep training you. It's going to be a lot harder than it would have been, but you could do this. There's, a, there's one video of her doing the beam, and, and you can hear a song in it defying gravity. For the few of you who might know what that song is, just you can hear the title, Defying Gravity, is playing while she's doing the beam. Just because you became a Christian, things are not going to be easy. The world is this darkened world. All these harsh things are part of our reality. But we have a God who has said, I will work with you. I will come alongside you. We have our Savior who said, I will be with you until the end of the age. You and I in the darkness can choose to either be dark or we can choose to trust our King, not despise his word, and follow him to preserve what he has made. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your creation. Thank you for making us to be your image bearers. Lord, may we recognize the severity, the awfulness, the darkness of sin. May we see the ways that it is directly opposing you. And Heavenly Father, as we gain that understanding, would you help us to trust you more? Would you help us to make decisions that show we believe in the way that you are ordering the world. We believe in the peace that you want to bring. And we want to be agents of that as we go through this war with evil that we are perpetually in until you remake all things. May we do this for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.